It's the APC Podcast here at acmepackingcompany.com, part of SB Nation. Packers talk all of the time. Zach Rapport here standing, literally, in my bedroom in Queens, New York, about to throw it to an interview that Ben Foldy and I did a few days ago with Ben Fennel at Ben Fennel underscore NFL on Twitter. Uh, he is our favorite Packers film guru, crunches film over at The Athletic, and he had a lot, a lot to say about what exactly is going on with this year's Green Bay Packers. Follow the show on Twitter at the APC Pod for our particular brand of nonsense. Follow us on Instagram for literally no reason, also at the APC Pod, at Zach Rapport, at Ben Foldy, at Alex Patakis, the APC Podcast, at gmail.com for long form stuff. Thanks to everyone who uh, has given us a review recently. We did get uh, our reviews that were lost on iTunes. Uh, we did retrieve those. It was nice to see some some really thoughtful reviews come in over the last few days. We really appreciate that. And so now I promise to uh, to spare your ears, not bother you about the reviews, at least for a little while. We really appreciate it. So without further ado, let's get to our guest, Ben Fennell. The number you dialed is... Happy to be joined now by Ben Fennell, at Ben Fennell underscore NFL on Twitter, writes for The Athletic, doing film breakdown for them. Ben, how are you? I'm doing well. You know, I wish we could uh, be talking, uh, you know, on a brighter day and after a win and a little more optimism, but, uh, you know, the, the season rolls on. I will have to go back and, and, and check the tape on this one, but I believe nearly every one of our interviews starts with you saying, I wish we were talking under better circumstances. <laughs> I feel like I'm a little repetitive with that, and that now that I'm thinking it, we seem to be echoing this, and we're always talking after losses. So, yeah. uh, one of these days, we're gonna we'll powwow after a win. That sounds good. Um, well, I want maybe I'll give you the opportunity to, to say a little something different, and because I want to start um, with a little bit of a focus on the defense, because last year and pretty much every other time we've talked to you, you know, you were so critical of the defense under Dom Capers, a complicated scheme lack of toughness, players dogging it in, in your eyes. What have you seen this year that's different? Well, what I've seen this year is different is, uh, you know, some better play at positions where we were lacking. I think on the perimeter outside, you know, going and getting a player of Jair Alexander's caliber and even working in Josh Jackson earlier in the year, I've just seen better play from the secondary in general. I know HaHa Clinton-Dix has been that up-and-down player. He's been that up-and-down player this year. He got a couple turnovers, made a couple boneheaded plays in coverage, some missed tackles. So the safeties have still been inconsistent, but I think the corners have played much better, which allows you to do more things up front with your pressure schemes and blitz calls, like we've seen Mike Pettin do on third and mediums and long this year. Now that he has corners, he can trust out there in the secondary. Um, so I, I like that we've added the more uh, you know confusing overload pressure packages. I think we have more man-to-man cover guys that we can trust, but I think right down the middle of the defense, the linebackers and the safeties are still wildly inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. And as critical as I am of the defense and as exciting as it is to have Mike Pettin and the pressure scheme has been working, there's still a lot of issues. There's still some 
um, you know, below average talent, in my opinion, at certain positions, very key positions. And also the injuries have just been absolutely brutal. And injuries are never an excuse. But when you're dealing with a new defensive coordinator, a new scheme, and working in a lot of young players, having continuity on that back end is really important. There's just been so many injuries. And, you know, like Mike McCarthy coming out today and saying, well, yeah, Nick Perry's been dealing with his foot from the ankle surgery in the off season. So even the guys that are playing aren't fully healthy mm. and Mike Daniel snap count's been uh, down drastically this season. I'm suspecting he's not a hundred percent either this year. So there's a lot of concerns with injury and who's healthy. And if we're using all of our tools in the tool bag, so to speak uh, for the season. I mean, Patton, at least I think to me seems to be thinking creatively. Like I've never seen a game where it seems like Patton's kind of thrown in the towel and been like, well, we've lost Wilkerson. We've lost uh, Kevin King. We've lost, you know, whoever. And, and, you know, he's, he's still kind of gambling when he needs to gamble. It's paying off. It seems more, more than it isn't making adjustments. Yeah. Mid game. I, I mean, is like, a foreign concept for us. And, and, I mean, would you would you say that? I mean, I know we're. I think indirectly, we're just going to be talking all day about about. You know, I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast, but basically every week, the question we're trying to wrestle with is, are the Packers bad? And that's been like four weeks running, and there's not really an answer as far as we can tell. Um, but you know, I, I I think most of the problems this team has are on the offensive side of the ball. At least the problems that are that are really costing them games. It seems. Yeah, I would have to agree, and. Um... You know, Mike Pettin, I think, has done a good job this year. I think his pressure scheme has been working. He's made adjustments, uh, you know, in the middle of games and at halftime, something that, you know, Dom Capers really struggled to do over his tenure is make those mid-game adjustments. Mm -hmm. But the issues are, like, his pressure scheme is still not based off of individual talent. It's Mm -hmm. schematic-based. It's design pressure. It's manufactured pressure. You have to be able to complement your pressure on defense. You can't just overload blitz every time on third and mediums and third and long. It gets to be way too predictable. Yeah. And it actually is fairly simple to beat for opposing quarterbacks, for veteran quarterbacks that understand the rotation of the defense and where you're buzzing to and that you can actually beat the blitz with your arm. Mm. You need to be able to work in the pressure scheme with the ability to win one-on-ones. And that's what this team is just severely lacking, guys you can trust to win one-on-one battles, whether that's in the trenches, like we're seeing a lot of explosive three-tech defensive tackles like Aaron Donald terrorize offenses by Mm -hmm. getting pressure from the inside, and then just having an elite edge rusher like everybody knows, every fan knows, you need pass rush, you need edge pressure, you need defensive ends, and we just haven't been getting that. You know, obviously, Kyler Fackrell is not the player we anticipated drafting him in the third round. Clay Matthews is a step slower. Nick Perry is obviously still recovering from his ankle surgery in the offseason, Nick Perry is a heavy-handed, bull-rushing power rusher, and we just haven't seen that type of impact off the edge. And now the fact he's worked into Petten's pressure scheme, he's rushing the passer even less because he has to drop into coverage on certain packages and scheme calls. So just the play of Nick Perry and collectively not having those guys you can trust to manufacture pass rush on their own through one-on-ones, you need that complement in a system. Mm. Yeah. Join us, if you will, on the other side of the ball, and let's talk about Aaron Rodgers, because we spent a lot of time in our last episode uh, talking about what we perceive as um, some poor play, some uncharacteristically poor play, and I think uh, from Aaron Rodgers, and I think that that echoes a little bit what, what I've seen from you, at least on Twitter, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, what is your impression of how he's playing so far this year? You know, when you take a step back and you kind of evaluate how he's been playing this year, you start to now think of years past. 
and having to run the table several years ago, having to survive a couple key games of Hail Marys. And he hasn't always been the most effective at the quarterback position. And it's been tough to evaluate because when he's playing really well, the defense may be faltering under capers. You can never really Mm -hmm. see both sides of the ball clicking together. It seems like one side always had to compliment the other side. And just when the defense would be dominant, the offense would be struggling. So it was always Mm -hmm. tough to kind of assess how the team was doing on both sides of the ball and complimenting each other. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers, the one word in his style of play, I keep going back to is greedy. I think he's just a greedy quarterback. And obviously there's a, that's a double-edged sword. His pros and his cons are almost the same trait. His ability to extend the play is his, his improvisational skills, his ability to throw from awkward arm platforms and different foot platforms. That's his worst and his greatest traits in the same breath. And sometimes you would just wish, I think the most impressive half of football I've seen Aaron Rodgers play in the last several years was week one, second half yep. against Chicago. Yep. Yep. He was on one leg and had to throw from the pocket and play within the structure of the offense. And I thought the offense looked great. He literally willed the team back 20 points down yeah. on one leg playing from the pocket. And pa- it was it was magnificent. Packer fans might hate to to hear this, but kind of sounded kind of looked like uh, Tom Brady on that drive, <laughs> just like no, pa- paper cutting teams like, to death. Like late, late. Tom he kind of did. And when you look at you know those veteran quarterbacks, whether it's Brady or Peyton Manning or even you know Ben Roethlisberger or Stafford or Philip Rivers, these are guys that go through their progression so fast, yeah, and can go from high to low in one and a half, two seconds, and get the ball to their outlets, their checkdowns, their third and fourth progressions in the proper timing of the play and giving them room to run and get yardage and stay on schedule. That's the one issue I'm seeing with this Packers offense is the inability to stay on schedule, to take the easy yards. Why does every chunk play, every seven-plus yard play, have to be so difficult and so strenuous? And every throw has to be some precision ball from Aaron Rodgers or extending the play to let somebody uncover. Just very frustrating to watch Tom Brady drop back in the pocket one, two, three seconds and check it down to a back and let him run for five, six, seven, eight yards, maybe a bigger play. I just don't see the the reasoning on why offense and yardage has to be so difficult. Yeah. It's interesting that you use the word greedy. I, I Remember hearing in Aaron Rodgers' post-game press conference remarks following the the Patriots game, he was uh, looking back on a play and he's like, "Oh, I got to get the ball to Adams more." I remember a specific play where, um, you know, I, I I made a pass and after it, I thought, "Oh, if I just waited a few more seconds, I would have had Devonte Adams uh, further on down the field." And oh, I like that's something that I have to correct. And I remember thinking, no, that's not what you need to do. You don't need to hold on to the ball for an additional three seconds longer than you already are. It was very frustrating. Yeah, and a trend I've been noticing, um, and this is purely speculative based on his body language, his eyes, his reads. I think he's becoming more and more predetermined out of the huddle on where he wants to go with the ball. Now, obviously, he's reading, you know, too high, single high rotation and leverage. But I think he's relying too much on his pre-snap decision-making to take him where his eyes and his arm need to go in post-snap, as opposed to reading a defense post-snap or playing off a defender or going through his progressions with the right rhythm and timing. I just don't see that. It seems like he's almost getting locked on to certain receivers. And like you saw, I mentioned on Twitter, that key third and four in the second half, where I think it was right around midfield, the Patriots were disguising their look crowding the line of scrimmage with defenders. There was no safeties deeper 
than about five yards on the play. So it showed you had man-to-man, you had Devontae Adams as the single receiver to Rodgers' right. They double Randall Cobb in the slot, but Rodgers went right to Cobb uh, as soon as this, he got the snap. He was doubled, and Rodgers just could not get off of him. And I just don't understand his inability to go through his progressions to get off a receiver. And then obviously on that play, it's just a pre-snap decision. You had Devontae Adams against an undrafted or seventh-round corner, J.C. Jackson out of Maryland with no safety help over the top, and it's third and four. Why would you not go there if you're going to predetermine yourself? Yeah, There's a lot of really strange decision-making from Rodgers. There was a third and one play in the second half where they ran zone read to Jamal, Ad- or excuse me, to Jamal Williams. The defensive end kind of squatted and stalled for a second. There was about two, three, maybe even four yards of separation between the defensive end and David Bakhtiari blocking down. Instead, Aaron Rodgers pulled the ball, and he was tackled for a two-yard loss on the perimeter as opposed to giving that to your running back and maybe fall forward for two, three, four yards and an easy first down on third and one. It's a lot of very strange decision-making uh, decision making by Aaron Rodgers that I really don't have an explanation for. There's also, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, and, I, and I'm not sure if you've rewatched the whole game yet, but there's, there's a few throws that he just doesn't, he either like hesitates to pull the trigger, he misplaces the ball, even, even some of the bigger chunk plays, um, he's not hitting guys in stride. I know last week there was a big one. Um, when he hit, when he hit Adams deep over the middle, you know, that ball was Adams had to jump. It was a touchdown if he didn't, um, no question. And, and I don't know if that's kind of, he, he does have lazy mechanics, but he is the most talented thrower of the football I've ever seen. Yeah. He's perfectly entitled to throw the ball. However he wants <laughs> that's to, true. He's, he's earned that ability. But like what I was saying before, some of his best traits are also his worst traits. Yeah. And for every great throw from an awkward foot platform or an awkward arm angle, that's right on the money. I could find you a throw that ended up at the receiver's ankles or maybe behind the receiver that a lot of people aren't realizing that, yeah, that inaccuracy is destroying the play. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just this season, but I seem to notice it a lot more this season than I have in recent years. And I, I mean, completion percentage is at least partially telling that tale. It's down to 60% after a career of like 67 ish, basically. I think that, um, you know, Ben, what you're saying about, predetermining his reads and kind of knowing pre-snap where he wants to go and, and not being able to get off that. I think that almost feeds a little bit of the of, of the narrative that you hear out there that he is not really thrilled anymore with McCarthy's offense. So the play call comes yeah. in and he just makes the read and says, I'm just going to, you know, this is what I think. This is the best I think that this crappy play call can can get me. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna do it. I it, mean, I, it I, does seem it just does seem to speak to a lack of of confidence or belief in the play call. It seems like it, and I don't know him personally, but from everything I've I've heard around him, around the team, people that have talked to him in, in TV production meetings and coaches that have worked with him, he's extremely smug. He's extremely arrogant. So if he doesn't have a belief in the system. He will bury that system. Yeah. I feel like he will tank that system and run it almost reluctantly. Um, so it's going to be very interesting in the whole relationship between him and Mike McCarthy. It's like that girlfriend that you don't want to break up with because you don't know if you're making the right move or not. Yeah. Did you have it good or do you not know what's out there because you haven't tested the waters yet? And, you know, change is scary. But I almost am ready for a change of scenery, and I think I'm ready to make that move and just see what else is out there. And maybe that can spark a veteran player like Aaron Rodgers and maybe, you know, rejuvenate his career as he's getting into the back half of it. 
I mean, it's so that brings up for me a question of, you know, almost all of the good offensive coaches that have kind of taken the league by storm in the last couple of years, almost all of them are doing it with rookie quarterbacks. And there's kind of this um, mutual development of, you know, I mean, Goff, I think, has turned out to be a good quarterback regardless of of McVeigh, but there's this kind of symbiotic relationship, right? And I don't know if you're talking about Peterson and Wentz or you're talking about Mahomes. I guess Mahomes and Reed is is the exception of the rule, but like a lot of these kind of explosive offenses are rookie quarterbacks who are, you know, getting their schemes and and just executing. And so do you see a, a situation where kind of a new whiz kid coordinator can come in or a head coach and and kind of bring Rodgers to heel not to refer to him as like an animal but you know what I mean yeah I mean that's if if the quarterback is willing to do that yeah. and willing and trusting in the system and you know it's very interesting that I thought last year was incredibly frustrating for from a Packers perspective to watch what Doug Peterson do with Nick Foles what McVeigh did with Jared Goff what Nathaniel Hackett did with Blake Bortles what you know Pat Shermer did with Case Keenum mm-hmm. let's face it Case Keenum Bortles Nick Foles I'll even put Jared Goff. I think they're all backup quarterbacks. I don't think Jared Goff's very good. Oh, Can wow. he run the system? Does he have a strong arm? Is he a big kid? Absolutely. But that's just, that's a scheme. That's a system up there, and it's a fantastic system. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Alex Smith when he was with Andy Reid. Alex yeah. Smith can run the system. He can hold the ship down. Now, the second you get an uber-talented quarterback with exceptional elite traits with these, you know, uh, excellent schemes now you're now you're dangerous now you're the now super now it's andy reed and patrick mahomes yeah. Yeah. you have a strong arm kid willing to extend the play now it's doug peterson and carson wentz these are guys with elite traits with really good offensive schemes uh and play callers and i think that's an extremely dangerous recipe for the nfl to have to contend with yeah obviously the offense here in philadelphia hasn't gone like planned uh this season they dealt with some injuries and moving some parts around but I think uh, foundationally, I think once you have a quarterback with these elite talents, like obviously we all know Aaron Rodgers does, put him with a, an elite play call, an elite schematic coach, I think that's a recipe to be an extremely dangerous offense. But it's going to require the quarterback to buy in first and foremost. So that brings up for me a question. I mean, I know you watch a lot of college ball professionally. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I see Lincoln Riley getting thrown around. I see... Uh, Franklin's name. I, I don't think I've seen Franklin's name in terms of the Packers, but I think Packers Twitter is is turning to this point where they're looking with uh, they're fresh fresh <laughs> eyes at at the college uh, ranks to see who they could want. I mean, is there somebody that you think, you know, obviously this is speculative, but I mean, is there anybody that you would really want the Packers to take a look at or a system that you think is uh, worth trying to bring in? Well, I think it's exciting to, and, you know, different to look at some of these coaches out there with these high-powered offenses, putting up lots of points. Legan Riley is obviously a young, great mind, but there's still plenty of young, great minds within the NFL. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to say young, but um, you know, credible minds that can run great system, whether that's the OC, John Filippo running the Minnesota Vikings right now, or the recently fired Todd Haley can run a great offensive system. There's a lot of really good coaches out there that I'm at the point, I just want to see what would Aaron Rodgers look like in another scheme? What would he look like in another system? What would this offense look like? So it's just more of the curiosity just to see what else is out there. And, you know, change is scary. Change is new. You're afraid to make changes because you don't know if you're making the right decision for the better. But you can't, you won't know unless you go down that road. And I think we're all kind of turning that page mentally as a fan base and just saying what else is out there. 
I almost want to ask you, is this team bad? Like, what? Because I, I see the things that I, it's, it's, it's the same thing that we always have where we can't really quite diagnose exactly what the problem is. At least I, I don't feel like I can really tell. I think Rodgers is part of the problem at this point. Obviously, you're not going to move on from Rodgers in the middle of the season or ever. Nope. But, you know, I can just as easily see this team kind of snapping into place and everything clicking and going, you know, nobody in the NFC North seems in a position <laughs> to run away with seems it. Seems interested in winning um, the division. You know, like I could just as easily imagine this team in the playoffs, and and is that is that your read too, or is this kind of a, a I know I know you were high on Chicago coming into the season. I think you were you know ahead of the curve on that, but uh, is this a team that you think could could put it together in the second half, or like what would need to change other than you know winning games? Yeah, and just really quick on the whole Chicago thing, which I actually got crushed for because oh, they're going on ESPN Milwaukee. I'm and sure I believe me, I, I wrote down names and made a list here because <laughs> people called me a homer. People called me, or not a homer, but just a hot take guy looking for follows. Yeah. I actually thought I was giving myself more credibility in the football world because I wasn't being emotional. I wasn't saying I hate Chicago just because they're a division rival. Yeah, yeah. I was I was assessing the team from an unbiased perspective, and I said, you know, I really like the roster they put together. I like the team they put together, like the moves they made in the offseason, and comparatively to the rest of the division, yeah, on paper, in the summer, I thought the Bears had the best chance to win the division. And we all saw how their season's playing out now. They, you know, they let up a big lead to the Packers in week one. They lost a heartbreaker to the Dolphins in overtime. That team should really be 6-2 and two right now. Yeah, they're winning without Mac at the moment. Yeah, no question. So, um, you know, I'm going to stick with that. And they obviously look like one of the premier teams uh, in the NFC North right now. So I feel like I saw that correctly. And it just, it'll come down to how does uh, Matt Nagy and Mitch Trubisky manage games you know, late into the season, Nagy's a first-year head coach. He's already had a couple blunders uh, late in game, managing the time, managing timeout, managing situations. So I feel like their team will go as far as, you know, the quarterback and the head coach take them. But I still like them to win the division. Um, but to go back to your question on are the Packers bad, um, I mean, they are what they are right now. And right now I see a, a, a poorly run, a poorly executing football team with some talented players. I think David Bakhtiari is a top mm. five left tackle. Rogers, obviously a top five quarterback. We're getting some really interesting weapons from Aaron Jones and Valdez Scantling and Devonte Adams has really come into his own as a top 10 receiver in this NFL. But I think there's still some glaring issues around the team and at some key positions. I mean, no one's really been talking about Byron Bell at right guard the past few weeks has been absolutely horrendous. And it's going to really set the offense back on some key downs whether it was the safety against the Rams yep. or the, uh, I think it was a big third and five play against the Rams as well, where we ran the ball and he missed his combo block up to the linebacker. I don't know. I just see way too many deficiencies and lack of talent at some key positions. And from what I see right now in a poorly executed and all the penalties and the boneheaded plays and the special teams blunders, I'm seeing a poorly coached team and I'm seeing the team that's not executing really well. And I'm seeing a team with some serious talent deficiencies at certain positions. Between those three things and their record, yeah, right now they're a, they are a bad football team. Do you think, you know, I, I, I've heard this theory o- over the past few weeks from, uh, I know uh, our buddy John Meerdink has said this, other people in the, in the blogosphere have, have now been saying that the Packers really are two, two, uh, one year into a, a sort of a two-year retooling process or, or re- rebuilding, if you will. Do you think... That do you think that that it is more true that the that 
I guess what I want to say is, do you think that Brian Gutekunst went into this season thinking this is the team that can win it, or did he go into the season thinking we are a year away? Huh, that's a really good question. Um, Which obviously he can't say publicly. Sure, sure. And we won't know. He may come, come out with that in the offseason or hit, really get his viewer perspective of the roster that he inherited. I mean, but he was here. He was under Ted Thompson, yeah. so he, you know, he had a part in picking the players and putting this roster together and the, the personnel decisions they've made. Considering the health of certain players at key positions, whether it's Perry or Mike Daniels, I'm not sure you could have looked at this roster and said this is a very competitive roster and one of the better teams in the National Football League. Yeah. I think he's going through a bit of a roster purging, and we've seen them make some tough decisions and getting rid of some players that this fan base is kind of scratching their head about on, you know, whether they thought they were good or just, you know, liked by the fan base, you know, whether that's the Jeff Janice's or the Ripkowski's of the world, or, um, I don't know. I just see way too many key positions with lacking of talent, edge rusher. You need elite edge rushers in this league. Nick Perry's hurt. Kyler Fackle didn't turn into the player. Clay Matthews isn't the player. We thought he was Reggie Gilbert is what he is. Everyone's excited because he gets sacks in the preseason. He's still a stiff edge rusher that can't turn the corner. Yeah. Is he going to hustle and run down the ball? Sure. Right guard Byron Bell. That's just a stopgap. That's a one-year stopgap. Same thing like last year when they had Jari Evans in there. And if Bulaga can't go, if he has any perpetual injuries, Jason Spriggs is not the player you drafted and traded up for in the second round. He just isn't. It really is showing kind of a weakness of the last couple draft classes. I think this draft class is showing out really well so far, but like the last two or three are just, you know, the cupboard is bare. And what I'm noticing around the league, and I'm starting to develop a bit of an infatuation for, sorry if I kind of turn this conversation, is, is getting rid of mistakes. Yeah. Yep. And not perpetuating and holding on to mistakes because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to sign, you know, a free agent that maybe didn't pan out, whether ability wise or in the locker room or mentally or coachability or a draft pick that didn't turn out or develop like you thought he was. Yeah. It's how quickly are you going to cut the cord on your mistakes or how, how prideful you're going to be that, yeah, we made the right pick. If we just hold on, if we just keep developing, if we keep working with them, I'm noticing the good teams around the league. Cut the cord when they know they made a mistake. Well, and the Packers seem to be cutting the cord pretty quick. Uh, you know, well, this... I feel like we are now. Yeah, but no, exactly. Like were... But it is, it, it, I don't, I don't see Brian Gutekunst, you know, holding on to Carl Bartlett for, uh, or not Carl. What was that linebacker's name who like never saw the field for three no, years? Carl Bradford. Carl Bradford. Bradford. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I don't see this team holding on to. You know, if 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 Jermaine Whitehead can't stay on the roster past you know one bad penalty, then I don't see Carl Bradford sticking around for three years under this regime. Yeah, I don't either. And, you know, when Mike Pettin was hired, he said, hey, listen, I'm going to come in. I'm going to hurt some feelings. So I thought that was kind of him saying, listen, I need to purge some of this crap that's on the defense. Yeah. And just going over the roster right now, I mean, I can look at three, four, maybe five players that just I don't think are good enough to be on a first or second line on an NFL defense right now. And until we, you know, get over the fact that, yeah, we're going to hurt some feelings and we can't be so prideful of our draft picks and our homegrown talent that, we need to improve this roster. We need to make the tough decisions. We need to hurt some feelings and get better. And I see way too many uh, positions that just the talent isn't isn't good enough. Yeah. Agreed. Well, we'll have something to talk about later this season, I'm sure. Yeah. Maybe maybe next time we have you on, uh, it will be after a win. You and I should uh, we'll, we'll make we'll a keep point DM of that. and we'll we'll make it happen. But um... yeah, and I, you know, I posted the thing yesterday talking about touchdown efficiency, which I love looking at because I think that's a great scope on. Uh, the success of a quarterback and an offensive coordinator goal is to get touchdowns 
whether it's running, passing, every drive is an opportunity to get a touchdown. So I like looking at touchdown efficiency, which the Packers right now are 20th, the first time that Mike McCarthy's been below the league average. But you look at 2017, they were eighth. And if you look at 2013, they were eighth. And I've got a lot of people mentioning those on Twitter. And the rare thing about those years are Rodgers barely played. Mm-hmm. And they were still top 10 defense, or excuse me, top 10 touchdown efficiency uh, offenses. And then you consider how well Rodgers played in the second half of Chicago in week one. And it's almost like if you would just run the system, if you just run the scheme and, and run it like it's being designed, just like Matt Flynn did in 2013 or Hunley did last year to an extent. Yeah, was it a little clunky? Absolutely. You didn't run things like an NFL quarterback should. But to still be eighth in touchdown efficiency with Brett Hunley, and right now we're sitting here at 20th with Aaron Rodgers after getting a $100 million contract, it just it just leaves you a little bit, you know, befuddled and trying to figure out what the problem is. And we'll be here every week doing that. <laughs> and every time we talk to you, you fill our heads with uh, so much knowledge that I feel like I lose other superfluous knowledge, like my social security number and stuff falls out of my head. But we, I feel like I need to go sit on a bench on the boardwalk and just like look <laughs> at the ocean for a couple minutes here. Just feed the birds. Exactly. <laughs> Gather my thoughts. Exactly. All right, Ben. Well, uh, maybe next time we talk to you, it won't be such an airing of grievances to continue the Seinfeld references. And um, yeah, thank you for stopping by and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> thank you. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of the APC podcast. Big thanks once again to Ben Fennel for stopping by, giving us a little bit of his vast knowledge. For Alex Patakis, for Ben Foldy, I am Zach Rapport. Follow the show at the APC pod on Twitter. And be sure to keep it dialed in to acmepackingcompany.com for all the latest with the team. The Packers are set to square up against the Miami Dolphins. The Brock Osweiler, I believe, led Miami Dolphins. So, hey, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe we can get a win this week, huh? All right, let me get out of your hair. Let's go, Pack Go. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.